typology. Uh, pastor is going to speak on the life of Joseph, and uh, the idea of typology is a scriptural thing. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says that Adam was a type of Christ. In other words, there are things that are prefigured before Jesus ever comes to teach people that they should expect something more significant, that uh, the symbol represents a reality, that the figure represents uh, substance. And there are different characters in the Old Testament that are specifically typological. Adam, uh, Joseph, Jonah. For example, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and it represents Jesus before he was resurrected. In the life of Joseph, you have a type uh, of Christ in that he was uh, loved of the Father, thought dead, saved his people, uh, and then um, assumes royalty. And so it becomes a type of who Jesus is. And so that kind of is representative a little bit of what the pastor is going to speak about this morning. Now, Dan gave you a little bit there, but I'm going to ask you for the next few minutes that you look at your outline and you write down on your outline the types of Christ that you see in the story of Joseph this morning. And uh, what I've chosen to do, rather than just read you the scripture this morning, and I've chosen to put myself into the person of Joseph and to take you through uh, the nine chapters, which would be Genesis chapter 36 or Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 46 this morning and sort of tell you that story as Joseph might have told it. And uh, hopefully it'll sort of come alive. But as I tell you the story this morning, I want you to see if you can pick up any types and write them down in your notes. And then when we come back after the children's message this morning for the second part of this message, I'm actually going to open it up and give you, get you to give me a little bit of feedback this morning of what you came up with, what types you saw. So the story of Joseph. It seems like just yesterday that my 12 brothers and I were running through the fields of Canaan. We had such great times together. Yes, there were 12 of us. We had a big family. Dad was Jacob, and he, and he seemed to love us all. But you know, all 12 of us, there was myself, and then there was my youngest brother was Benjamin, and then there was Simeon, and there was Reuben, and there was Levi, and there was Dan, and there was Judah, and there was Naphtali, and there was Gad, and there was Ishkar, and, and we, we just had a great time. Zebulon, all of us, all 12 of us, we would roam, and we would take care of the sheep together, and Dad was always giving us jobs to do. It was a great time, but all the times weren't so great. I remember the first time that wasn't too great. See, my brothers did something that I knew, I knew that dad would not like. So what did I do? I told on him. Now you would think at 17 years old I would know better than that, but I didn't. I told on them. And man, were they mad at me. They were irritated at me. But dad, dad was happy with me. Dad loved it that I told. And you know, Dad wanted to show his appreciation. So he made me a coat. It was a coat. It was the most beautiful coat you'd ever seen. It had so many different colors. I loved it. I put that coat on, and I strutted right in front of my brothers and said, look what Dad did for me. Look what he gave me. And certainly you know how they felt. They got more irritated. They got madder at me. Then they started. I was out watching the sheep one day and sat down to rest and fell off to sleep under a fig tree. And all of a sudden, a dream. And I had this dream that my brothers and I, we were bundling the wheat together. And, and my bundle 
was there and all of their bundles were there. And then their bundles bowed down to my bundles. And of course, what did I do? I told my brothers about that dream. And that made them even madder. It wasn't long after that that I had another dream. And that dream was that the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed down to me. This time I told my dad about the dream, and it sort of got my dad upset. He said, do you think that my, you and, or, my mom, or your mom and myself and, and, and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And I said, well, dad, that's what the dream said. Well, my brothers were off tending the sheep, all ten of them. Benjamin was still too young. And so they were off tending the sheep over in Shechem. And Dad said, listen, I want you to go and check on your brothers. And so I got some food together, and I made that journey about a day and a half up to Shechem. When I got there, I couldn't find them. A man, I asked, I said, do you know where, have you seen my brothers, the, the sons of Jacob? And he said, yeah, the last time I saw them, they were heading down to Dothan. So another day and a half journey down to Dothan until I finally found my brothers. They saw me coming in the distance. And you know they weren't real happy with me. I saw them gathered together. And what happened next, I would have never believed in my wildest imagination. But soon as I got there, they grabbed me, they took me, and they threw me into a cistern or into a pit. I screamed and I yelled, but they kept me there. They would not let me out. Later, later, I would learn that they took my coat, they killed a goat, they dipped my coat in that goat's blood, and when they got home, they told Dad that I was killed by a wild animal. Of course, Dad's heart was broken. It seemed like I was in that pit for a long time. In that pit, I cried, and I prayed to Yahweh. And then I heard, I heard someone talking. I didn't recognize the voices. And pretty soon, I felt myself being lifted out of that pit. And there stood in front of me some Midianite travelers who were traitors. They were on their way to Egypt. And my brothers, my brothers sold me for 20 shekels, 20 pieces of silver. They sold me. And just like that, I was gone on my way to Egypt. The whole way, I prayed again and asked for Yahweh to take care of me and to watch over me and to keep me safe. We got to Egypt, and immediately those traders wanted to make money off of me, so they put me on the trading block, and I was bought by a man named Jephthah. A very rich man, a very well-to-do man there in Egypt. He took me to his house and I began to work and I worked hard and long days and nights and did the best job that I could possibly do. And pretty soon I found myself being raised up in his home. And, and he gave me more jobs and more jobs until finally I made every decision in the house except what Potiphar would eat. That was the only decisions he was making. I was making all the other decisions for him. I was there 11 years working for him faithfully. Well, he went away on a business trip one time, and his wife began to make advances at me. Not just once, but every day she would come after me. And I would say to her, no, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could lie with you. That would disappoint my God, Yahweh. And that would disappoint my master, Potiphar. There was one day I came into the house to get my work done there. Again, she came after me, and I said no. And I began to run from the house. This time she grabbed me. She grabbed my coat and yanked it and pulled. But I just kept running because I did not want to give in to that temptation. I did not know that that coat would be the evidence that she would use against me. See, Potiphar came home just shortly after that, and immediately she went to him and she said, Look, I want to tell you what Joseph did. He came in to lay with me, and he left his coat. When I screamed, he ran, and the guards came in, but he was already gone. But I showed the guards his coat. 
Potiphar was upset and angry at me, and he came and he grabbed me and the guards, and they took me and they threw me into Pharaoh's prison. There, Yahweh again was with me. I would spend two years in that prison, and in those two years, I would meet a lot of different people. I would experience a lot of different things, and I would see Yahweh answer my prayers. And again, the guards took a like to me, and they put me over the other prisoners. Two very interesting criminals that I met there was Pharaoh's baker and his cupbearer. Made friends with those two men, and one night those two men both had a dream. And they woke up and they came to me, and God helped me to interpret their dreams. And I was able to share some very disappointing news with the baker that he would be called from the prison, but he would be hung on the gallows. I was able to share with the cupbearer that he would be called back, and Pharaoh would make him the cupbearer once again. And that's exactly what happened. You would have thought the cupbearer would have remembered me, wouldn't you? But he didn't. Because still, time passed in the prison. But Pharaoh had some dreams. And he was looking for interpretation of those dreams, and he called the sages of the land in, and even the sages could not tell what those dreams meant. And it was at that point the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, you know, there was a man in prison who interpreted a dream that I had, and it came true because I'm now your cupbearer again. And so they, next thing I knew, some guards came, they got me, they shaved me, they cleaned me up, they gave me new clothes, and they took me into the Pharaoh's court. And before the Pharaoh, there I stood, and the Pharaoh began to share his dreams. He said, I laid down one night and I dreamt that I was near the Nile River. Out of the Nile River came seven fat calves. And then behind them came seven skinny calves. And those seven skinny calves ate up the seven fat calves. He said, there was another night I dreamt. And he said, I saw there were seven bundles of wheat that came up out of the Nile that were fat. And then there were seven skinny bundles that came up. And again, those seven skinny bundles ate those seven fat bundles. And he said, what does it mean? What does it mean? And again, Yahweh had helped me to understand those dreams. I was able to explain to Pharaoh that these, this thing would come true. It was for sure because you had dreamed it twice. And here's what you're dreams meant. He said, those seven fat cows and seven fat bundles of wheat represent seven good years for our crops. But then after those seven good years will come seven years of famine. And I said, God has also revealed that during these seven good years, we need to store as much food as we possibly can. And that's exactly what we did. And the interesting thing was that Pharaoh made me the prime minister. He put me over all of this. 30 years old, I am now the prime minister of Egypt. Really beginning. All of these other things that happened have been preparing me for when I turn 30. Now I'm going to minister for the Pharaoh. Well, those years went very quickly. Two years into the years of feasting, when the crops were doing so good, I got married. God gave me two sons, Benjamin and Ephraim, or Manassas and Ephraim, and it was great. Things were going great, but all of a sudden, those seven years were gone, and the seven years of famine hit. Two years into that seven years, I was out one day, at one of the areas, or we might call them centers, where we were distributing food. And I couldn't believe it. There they were. There they were, my ten brothers. Did they recognize me? No way. 22 years had passed. And would they have ever thought that I would be the prime minister of Egypt? 
I had him thrown into prison. It sort of felt good. I had him thrown into prison. For three days they stayed there until finally I brought them from the prison. And I said, I want you to go back and I want you to bring your younger brother back. In fact, I'm going to keep one of them. I'm going to keep Simeon here until you bring your younger brother Benjamin back. They didn't want to, but I, I made them and we filled their sacks full of grain and I put the money they had paid back in and they made their trip back to Canaan. Two more years would pass and finally they came back. And there he was, Benjamin, my younger brother. I wanted to run up and hung, hug, hug him but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. I held back my emotions. I threw a big banquet for them. You should have seen their faces. I wish you would have seen their faces when I sat them at the table in their birth order. It was amazing. They were talking, how, how could he have known? How could he have known to sit us like this? I so much during that meal wanted to reveal I'm Joseph, but I couldn't. I had to leave in the middle of the meal and go to my chambers and wept and wept. The next day came, and I said to them, I'm going to send you back. And so we filled their sacks once again with grain, and we took one of my golden cups, and we placed it in Benjamin's bag. They got just a couple miles outside the city, and the guards surrounded them. And the guards went to Benjamin. They went to sacks, and in Benjamin's sack, they found my golden cup, and they said, you're a thief. You're a thief. Come back. And they brought them back to the palace once again. And there, there they all. I brought Simeon from the prison. There they stood all in front of me. They all were there. I could not hold my emotions anymore. I could not. And I, I had everyone leave the chambers and we shut the door and they stood there and their faces were blank. They were fearful. And I said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. They didn't know what to say. How could it be? I began to share with them the great things that Yahweh had done and how he had taken care of me and how he had ministered through me these years. And then we fell on each other's necks and we began to weep and we wept together. I would send them back to get dad and to bring him back down and they made that journey and they brought dad back and oh, what a great reunion that was. And dad would share and, and bless each of the brothers, and then he would pass away. After he passed away, my brothers once again became fearful, thinking that now that dad's gone, Joseph will surely have us killed. But I reminded them often with these words. I reminded them that God had sent me to this place. I reminded them that you meant it for evil, but that God meant it for good. God meant it so that many lives may be preserved even until this day. And that's the story of Genesis 37 through Genesis 46. We have our children with us because for several weeks we give our junior church workers some time off. So I'm going to ask our boys and girls to come forward. And uh, when they get to the front here, they're going to sing a song for you. And um, then Dr. Sheard has a children's message this morning. Then we'll come back with part two of our message.
Okay, I'd like you all to come sit down right here. Okay, and I'm going to need two volunteers. Everybody sit down right where you're at. Okay. Um, I need two smaller children. How about, okay, you, and uh, how about uh, the Smith boy? You want to come up here? No? Yeah, okay. All right. Now, there's two, there's a couple passages in the Bible that talk about clothes for kids, so I brought a couple, okay? Now, the one we heard about this morning is what? What did Joseph's dad give him? Yeah, what was it like? A coat of colors. Well, this is about as close as I could come, okay? Okay, who wants this one? All right, there you go. All right, yep. How does that look? Is that looking pretty good? Now, what happened to Joseph's brothers? They all got what when he was given the special coat? Yeah, you guys are jealous of him, aren't you? You wish you could have a shirt like that, right? Okay, now there's another story in the Bible, right, where Samuel's mother gives Samuel, after he, she lends him to the Lord, she gives Eli and put, has... Um, um, Samuel put on something called an ephod, which was a priestly garment that only adult priests were supposed to wear. So we got one for you. Don't give me that look. <laughs> okay, put your arms through there. All right. Now, okay, now, since you're a priest, you got to have a belt on, okay? <laughs> Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Now, this was a very special coat because people who wore priestly garment, you know, they were intermediaries between God and man. They could go to the priest and do sacrifices at Shiloh. So what does this teach us? What are garments? What are clothes? Now, we can go to get tons of clothes. We can get them at Walmart, Kmart, Target, um, whatever. Uh, old Navy, Young Navy, wherever you want to buy your clothes, you can get them, right? Now, back then, they couldn't do that, so clothes were really, really valuable. Now, parents sometimes would give clothes as a symbol. Uh, now, what was this a symbol of, do you think, for everyone to see? Does anybody know? Not this one in particular, because this isn't a symbol of what I'm thinking about, but what did Joseph's father, Jacob, want to say about Joseph? Well, yeah, kind of. He, he loved his son Joseph. So his coat was really about love, right? Now, what did, what did Samuel's mother want to say about uh, Samuel by giving him an ephod, which was a priestly garment? She wanted to say that she had expectations that he would walk with God, right? Sometimes our parents put expectations on us. Do you guys get expectations from your parents? What do they expect you to do? Uh, I don't know. Do you have any jobs? No. No? <laughs> Whose child is this? <laughs> do you have any jobs at home? Um, I feed the cats sometimes. All right, good. So we got an answer there. Expectations. Parents put expectations. You know something? You know what we do? You know what your, we as parents do? We put hopes and dreams on you, right? We hope that you're going to walk with God. We hope you know how much we love you, right? Want to hear a story? Lauren, who was just up here when she was five years old. Now I'm going to cry. I thought surely my wife wasn't going to get through her song. When we were commissioned as missionaries, we were in a big auditorium with 2,500 people. And there were 
24 missionaries across the front, and we were all giving our testimony one minute apiece. And my daughter, Lauren, she decided that she was going to be a missionary too, which she was, but she walked out. Grandparents couldn't control her. She walked out the aisle, up onto the stage in front of 2,500 people just as they handed me the microphone. Sometimes God and your parents see what's ahead for you. And just like Jacob gave a special coat of royalty to his son, he must have known that there was something in store there for his son to be a king. And just like Samuel's mother Hannah gave him an ephod, she must have known that God had destined her son to be a prophet. You guys can go back to your seats, okay? Well, thank you, Dr. Shear. We'll go back to our second part of our message, and I want to ask you this morning, tell me where you saw typology in the story of Joseph this morning. Something you noticed about Joseph that would later be seen in Christ's life. Some types. Anybody pick anything up? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Sacrifice one for the good of all. Falsely accused. Sold for silver. Resisted temptation. There's a lot. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 7 this morning for a few minutes if you would. And I want to go through uh, just one place in the New Testament where we see this lived out. And uh, Acts chapter 7, and then we'll go through and give you a list of those types from Joseph's life. But I wanted to go to Acts chapter 7 because I think it is a great portion that shows us typology. And here in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish high court, and he has been charged. And there are three charges that have been brought against him that he's going to spend answering in chapter 7. Those three charges, charge number one is simply this, you've blasphemed against God and against Moses. Now you know in the Jewish mind that the writings of Moses and Moses himself are almost equal with God. And so he is being charged with blasphemy against God and against Moses. Secondly, he's being charged with speaking against the law. And again, you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees held the law. Sometimes even it seemed like above God himself. And we know that they held it above Jesus for sure. And so they say that's the second charge that we're going to bring against you. Third charge is this. Jesus had said that he would destroy the temple and change the law. And boy, this really made the Pharisees and the Sadducees irritated. Now, you can read about those charges yourself if you want to go back into Acts chapter 6, and you can read about it. So what happens, look in Acts chapter 7, it says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? So he said, Are these charges that are brought against you, Stephen? Are these things really true? Are these things really so? Did these things really happen? And what does Stephen do? He does the same thing that you and I ought to do. He goes back and uses the word of God. Listen, when you're questioned about your faith, you need to go back to the word of God because God's word is truth. It's truth. That's why it's important that we teach our kids the word of God. That's why we have Mount Calvary Christian School, so that we can teach our kids the foundation of God's word, so they can stand and say, not thus saith Dan Sheard, or thus saith Dick Vaughn, thus saith the word of God. 
That's what Mount Calvary Church and Mount Calvary Christian School is all about. Thus saith the word of God. And so what does he do? He says, thus saith the word of God. And we'll not take the time. We don't have the time this morning to take you all through Acts chapter 7 and show you. But I want to mention to you this morning what he does. He takes them backwards in the law and he begins really in verses 2 through 8. He talks about Abraham and the patriarchs. And he takes them back. And then if you would, look, he takes them to Joseph. Look, if you would, verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealousy of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt, over all his household. Now there came famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and a great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob and his father and, and his kindred, 75 persons in all. Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. So you can see, what does he do? He goes back. Now, I want to show you something that you can't miss, or you'll miss the typology here. So I want you to look there in verse 9. In the ESV it says, And the patriarchs' jealousy of Joseph. Who are the patriarchs? Who's, who is that there? Joseph's brothers. Thank you. So you might want to say, and his brothers. But he's laying out a defense. He's laying out a defense here, and I'll tell it to you in just a minute. If you'll go through the rest of the chapter, in verses 17 through 43, he goes back and he talks about Moses. And he says, of, he talks about Moses' exodus from Egypt. He talks about the Mount Sinai experience. He talks about the wandering in the wilderness. And he uses this again. And then in, in down chapter, uh, or verse 44, he talks about Solomon and his temple. In verses 44 through 50. But look, if you would, at the key to this chapter. When Stephen takes and reverses, he's being charged, but he turns around and he reverses it, and he charges the Sadducee and Pharisees. Look what he charges them with. Verse 51. You're stiff-necked people. You're stiff-necked. You're uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As for your, fa as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have betrayed and murdered. You received the law and, as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He turns right around into these Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other Jews standing around. He said, you're nothing but stiff-necked people. You won't listen when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You push it aside and you run. You run to your laws, but you won't listen. Even when Jesus himself came and Jesus declared salvation to you, what did you do? You murdered him, you stiff-necked, unrighteous people. Whoa. Pretty stiff charges, isn't it? He turns around what they charged him with and he charged them with these things. And the key there, he says, as your fathers did, so do you. And what is he saying? As your fathers, as Joseph's brothers did to him. As the people in the wilderness went against Moses, the thing that the Jewish people have always done, they've become stiff-necked against God and turned their back and wouldn't listen to God and even killed him. And you're doing the same thing. What does Stephen do? Stephen uses the story of Joseph again to shed light, that sense of typology, on 
these Jewish people. So we have typology here. Certainly I would hope that we're not like these Jewish people who are stiff-necked and who don't listen when the Spirit of God speaks to us. When he says that, listen, you're doing something wrong. You're living in sin. Hopefully we don't become like them and become stiff-necked and say, so what? I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what. The sad thing is there's a lot of Christians who do that, who just simply turn their back on God. But what are the typology? What are some of the types that we see here very quickly? And I'm going to go through them. They'll be on the screen. Um, But they both started their public ministry at what age? 30. At 30. You can read about it in Genesis 41 through 46 and in Luke chapter 3. They both faced temptation. Genesis 37, 7 through 9 and Luke 4, 1 through 13. You know, when you go back through the Old Testament, it's amazing how many failed. In this area, the sexual temptation, there was Judah with Tamar, there was Samson with Delilah, David with Bathsheba, there was Solomon and all of his wives. Failure after failure after failure in the Old Testament. But Joseph did not give in, did he? Even though the temptation was persistent, he did not give in. They were both sold for silver. Joseph, 20 pieces. In Genesis 27, Jesus for 30 pieces. They were both stripped of their clothes. Joseph, his coat. Jesus, his robe. They both had two criminals, didn't they? Jesus had those two criminals hung on their side. Joseph was in prison with two criminals. And what happened? One of them lived and one of them died. One of them at Jesus, one lived and one died. Both were innocent. Joseph, in Genesis chapter 40, verse 15, says, what have I done? He had done nothing. He was innocent. Now, listen, typology, when you start to transfer, there are certain things that don't transfer. Because even though Joseph was innocent, we know that he was a sinner just like you and I. And he had to come to accept the righteousness of God upon his life just like we do. Just like we have to accept salvation. He had to accept the righteousness of God. But Jesus in Luke's gospel, he, he's insisted that he was innocent. And then both of them said that their kinsmen would bow down to them. Again, Joseph in Genesis 42, 21 and 45, 1 through 3. And Jesus in Roman in chapter 11, verses 25 through 27 says, Listen, someday... Even though Israel is stiff-necked, they will bow down to God. See, and then lastly, redemptive importance. Both, as Jack said, both forgave their brother. Remember as Jesus hung on the cross, he said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a great illustration of forgiveness we have. I mean, how many of us can say that we were sold by our brothers or had our brothers turn their back on us or go through the horrific things that he did and yet forgive? See, both God sent them. God sent Joseph into Egypt to what? To preserve life. It says that. In Genesis 45, 5, God sent Jesus to the earth, what? To deliver his people from their sin. To what? To preserve life, to give us eternal life. Do you see this morning? Do you see all of the typology in the life of Joseph and then that comes in what's called the antitype of Jesus All of those things. As we've been telling you through the month of June as Pastor John and I have preached that you cannot read the Old Testament without seeing that it's pointing towards Jesus. It's pointing towards redemption. And as you read the Word of God, you must keep in your mind, if we're going to be the scholars that we need to be, we need to be reading it thinking, how does this show us redemption? How is the Old Testament pointing towards the New Testament redemption that only comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. See, the story of the Bible is the story of God and his world. 
It has implications for us. We should not only read the Bible typologically, the types we find in the Bible should shape the way we view the world. It's like, with whom do you identify? Do we identify with the people of Sodom who sinned and was destroyed? Or do we identify with Jesus and Joseph who did not sin, who looked away from sin? Who do you identify with this morning? Which of the types do you identify with? Turn as we close to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's, let's hear from Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Let me read it to you just a little differently. Now these things happened to them typologically. You get it? These things happened to them typologically, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. He said these things were written as an example. They were a type of what was yet to come and what was to be lived out. And as you read the Old Testament, you see that. And so from those Old Testament stories, they point to the New Testament. It doesn't mean that we can't draw lessons from them, but as we read them, if we're going to be the Bible scholars we need to be, we need to read them in view of the New Testament. But let me give you, as we close this morning, just a few thoughts from Joseph Live that are great examples for us. Here they are. First of all, do you believe that God is sovereign in all of life's situations? Do you? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God allows the things to happen in your life that do? I mean, do you really believe that? Or when things happen, do you gripe and complain the whole time? Or do you say, okay, God, I really don't understand it. I'm not sure where this is going, but you're in control, God. You're in control. That's what we need to be thinking. How about when I told that story of Joseph this morning, think about it you know, sold into slavery. You're, you're in the pit, and then you're, you're, you're in Potiphar's house, and you end up back in prison. I mean, it must have been pretty bleak for him, huh? Flat tire going up 283, and it's the worst thing in the world. The car won't start. The coffee pot won't work in the morning. Oh, oh God, what are you doing to me? I can't have my morning coffee. It's the most horrible thing in the world. And we gripe and we complain. Right? How about this? Will you trust God no matter what? No matter what comes across your life, will you trust God? Will you? Will you resist temptation no matter what? Will you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to put those things before my eyes. I'm not going to listen to that gossip. I'm not going to do this. I'm, well, do you do that or do you just go with the flow? Listen, living the Christian life is a war. It's a war. Every day we got to fight against temptation. Every day we got to rise up and we got to say, I'm going to quote the word of God because it is my sword that I have to use. Are you just sort of going to go with the flow and give in? It is a war Christians were in. And the sad thing is, so many Christians aren't in the war, they just give in to the sin no matter what. Will you forgive no matter what? Whoa. Now, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to come easy. It doesn't mean it's going to come easy. It didn't come easy for Joseph. You read the story. I think there was some times he was wrestling with the flesh and thinking about how can I get back at these guys after all? Look what they've done. Will you forgive? Will you determine to treat someone the same after they've offended you as before they offended you? in the area where they offended you. That's what forgiveness is. Will you do that? And you said, but look, they did this so many times. And what does God say in the book of Matthew? I must forgive seven times 70, at least 490. And that was just figuratively speaking. Will we always be willing to forgive? See, this thing is one way. How often does God have to forgive you? I don't even want to begin 
to number the times that God's had to forgive this guy right here in the 57 and a half years or almost 58 years I've been alive. Are we willing to forgive each other no matter what? That person that's sitting with you at the pew this morning or somewhere else in the auditorium that's hurt you, are you willing to forgive them and treat them the same? Lessons. See, it's not really how well you know the story of Joseph. It's how will you follow the Savior of the story. I know a lot of people who've learned the story of Joseph as a child, and they're an adult now, but the sad thing is they know the story, but they're not following the Savior of the story. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, can I ask you about your relationship with Jesus this morning? Can I ask you, how are you doing in this area of temptation? Are there things in your life that you're just giving into? Are there things that you're looking at on the internet that you know you have no business being there? Are there things that you're watching on television that you know you have no business looking at? Are there some people that you need to forgive? And you know it. Even while I've been preaching here this morning, God has brought those people to your mind. The Holy Spirit has brought those people to your mind. As we've gone through this message this morning, I know the Holy Spirit is faithful to what? To reveal sin to us. I mean, in these two or three weeks I've been working on this message, He's revealed sin to me often that I've had to go and to confess. Are we going to be like those stiff-necked people in Acts chapter 7, those Pharisees and Sadducees that think we're better than everybody else? Or are we going to come humbly to the Spirit of God and say, you know what, God, man, I need to confess sin. I need to deal with it this morning. Are you here this morning? Would you say, you know what, Dick? You know what, Pastor Dick? God is revealing some things to me in my life that I need to work on. There's some sin. There's some temptation that I've been given into. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip up your hand and slip it back down today? Would you admit it publicly just by slipping up your hand? Say, there are some things I'm struggling with. There's some people I need to forgive. There's some temptation I need that I'm, I'm giving into. Would you pray for me this morning? I'm not calling you by name. I'm just going to have a closing prayer here in a minute. I want to pray. Just slip up your hand. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. It's hard sometimes to just put up our hand and admit it, isn't it? But I think that's what God wants us to do. Father, thank you for the story this morning of Joseph. Thank you for the study of God's word and how we can see that Paul says all of these things, all of this typology was thing was an example for us looking towards the New Testament and the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, our heart's prayer is this. If there be one person here today who is not sure of an eternal home in heaven, that they would come and speak to Pastor John or, or Pastor Dan or myself, and Lord, let us show them from God's word how they can know before they leave this building they're on their way to heaven for eternity. Lord, help us in our everyday life when temptations come to be like Jesus who quoted scripture, to be like Joseph who said, no way, how can I do this to my God and even to my master here on earth? Help us with all of our might to fight off the temptation that so easily besets us. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. We're going to face temptation this week. You know, I'd really worry if I was standing here today and you're saying, well, temptation? What temptation? I'd worry. I'd say, is my relationship really real with God? Because if your relationship is real with God, you're going to face temptation every day. But the good news is we have an angel army. We have Jesus himself who walks with us, who can help us to overcome no matter what the temptation is. So let me say this, go forth and be victors this week, no matter what the temptation is, because you have God that is greater 
than any temptation you'll face. Have a great week.